to Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib, and this is your host, Mamak Shakib. This interview was super interesting. I interviewed Howard Walensky, who is a medical journalist from Chicago. I really was shocked at the pieces of information he was providing to us. This is not about American Medical Association versus chiropractic. This is about American Medical Association and their methods of running their business. And yes, it is a business. So this is just to let you know that at the end of the day, you are the only person on this planet that is as interested about your health and well-being as there is. No one else, no medical uh, agency, no government agency is there to protect you. So that is my recommendation to always look into pieces of information and look into the organizations that you get a lot of information from. You need to be doing quality control at all times because an agency or a person that may be trustworthy now may not be trustworthy later on so it's your job to do quality control at any rate i very much enjoyed howard walensky's uh, information he has books that he's written i would love for you to check the show notes for that information and perhaps purchase the book and books and um that's about it. I hope that you enjoy uh, what you hear. Any questions, comments, and suggestions, please forward them to me via email, drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. All right, Howard Walensky, thank you so much to have accepted my invitation to be interviewed for this podcast. I'm super excited and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask you. Howard, tell us who you are and let the audience and the listeners learn a little bit about you. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Dr. Shakib. Um, yeah, I'm a Chicago-based journalist and author and uh, I've written several books now having to do with healthcare, uh, but I, I mainly am a journalist. So I write articles about healthcare, um, often aimed at, at a physician audience, sometimes aimed at a scientific audience, but I also for 26 years, I was the uh, medical reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. So I also write for the general public. So I write technical material. I write material aimed at the general reader. And in the case of this book, uh, I write about uh, health policy and health history. And th this new book is called Contain and Eliminate. And the subtitle of it is... Uh, the American Medical Association's Conspiracy to Destroy Chiropractic. And let me mention one other thing. You hear a lot about conspiracy theories, but in this case, it, this one's true. 
Well, um, we're going to get all into it and talk about the uh, Wolk versus AMA, uh, but I mean, how did it, the book happen to be written? I mean, why? Why did you, at what juncture? So was it like 20 odd years ago that you realized, hey, there is something that is more than what meets the eye. There's more to this than what appears to be. Um, it, what was the reason why you did it? Is it true that you work for the AMA, by the way? Well, I haven't worked for them in 40 years, but I, ironically, we're coming up to an anniversary. It was on uh, December the 6th, uh, 1980, so 40 years ago, the, I think to the day. That it's I, yesterday. I was, yesterday. I'm losing. Yes. Th thank you, COVID. I'm losing track of time. But <laughs> 40 years ago, plus one day, I was a reporter for American Medical News, which was the weekly newspaper of the American Medical Association, the nation's largest um, medical doctor organization. And they, they were having their mid-year meeting in San Francisco. We were based in Chicago. And uh, I was left behind because I was the new guy. And uh, everybody else was in San Francisco and I minded the store. Well, they forgot to tell me until the last minute that there was a trial starting to happen on uh, the 6th of December. Could I get over to the federal courthouse and cover this antitrust trial? It was a monopoly trial and it was brought uh, on behalf of uh, five chiropractors, the best known one of whom uh, is still alive and I still know him, he's 90 years old now. And that's Dr. Chester Wilk, a uh, Chicago uh, chiropractor. He had been fighting for a number of years trying to persuade uh, chiropractors to sue the AMA. He suspected that there, there was some sort of conspiracy against chiropractors. Because, for example, he could not refer his patients to medical doctors. He could not refer them to hospital x-ray services, even though the public in, in general, through its taxes, paid through various uh, laws for, these, for this equipment. But he, he had no access to this equipment. And, you know, he... He could go on and on about, you know, where the barriers were for uh, chiropractic. But at any rate, a lot of people talked about it. Wilk believed it. And uh, more than 40 years ago, it was like, well, it was 1975. He heard from sort of a dark, mysterious character called Sore Throat. Now, I don't know how young your audience is. I don't know if people know about Deep Throat. Do you know about Deep Throat? Uh, yes, I do. And I have a feeling pretty much everyone knows regardless of the age. So. Well, you, you'd, be, I, you'd be surprised. I've found that people don't. But huh. deep, deep Throat, it turns out, was another sort of uh, mysterious character who was leaking materials 
to the Washington Post, which helped expose an, another conspiracy on uh, the, the part of President Nixon's committee to reelect Nixon, the president. Uh -huh. And, and uh, it turns out years later, we find out that that character nicknamed Deep Throat was actually the number two person at the FBI. And he probably figures into the story that I'm trying to tell, but I keep getting in my way. <laughs> at any rate, so as a joke, this character uh, called himself Sore Throat, sort of a medical joke. And, and he was releasing internal documents from the AMA that showed all kinds of wrongdoing on the part of the AMA, where they were doing various shenanigans with uh, politicians, sending them money uh, that maybe they shouldn't have, that they were cheating uh, the U.S. Postal Service by lying about their circulation on their journal. And so they were lying about other things that put their, they, well, they had not-for-profit status. Well, it turns out, you know, if these things that Sore Throat was pointing out were true, the AMA was $20 million plus in arrears and as far as their taxes. And uh, so he, Sore Throat kept leaking out information and the, the media and also governmental agencies started picking up on it. And uh, eventually, Sore Throat leaked his material to Dr. Wilk. And uh, there were all kinds of smoking guns, as they call it, in, in the material that uh, Wilk got from this character who liked to call himself Dr. Throat. Dr. Dr. Throat claimed he was an AMA staffer who was a physician who got laid off. The AMA was in horrible financial straits back in early 75. They were meeting payroll by taking loans. And uh, so Dr. Throat claimed to be one of about 80 staffers who were laid off. And so he leaked this material to the media, which caused all kinds of problems for the AMA. And he leaked it to Dr. Wilk, who in 1974, 1975, was trying to raise money for, for a lawsuit, which they estimated would take about a million dollars. And remember that was 1975 dollars, which were real dollars, at least back then. So Wilk, finally went through all kinds of difficulties. Um, he, he introduced uh, sore throat to some chiropractic groups, uh, but they failed to really take off in terms of raising funds. But he eventually, and this wasn't easy either, he found a lawyer who was sympathetic. Uh, uh, the brother of the, of the, chief executive for the International Chiropractic Association and, and the formal, former president of uh, Palmer Chiropractic College. Uh, his name was Jerry McAndrews. Well, McAndrews was a prominent character in uh, chiropractic circles. And so he turned to his brother, uh, George McAndrews, and said, George, you know, how can we find a lawyer to bring a lawsuit and, and so 
Jerry asked George to call like the top firms in Chicago and try to persuade them to sue uh, the the AMA and all the other major uh, medical organizations. And McAndrews, George McAndrews, went to all these firms and they said, no way, you know, we know uh, where our bread is buttered and we don't want to anger the AMA or the rest of organized medicine. And we want to be able to attract these lucrative uh, big pharmaceutical companies, you know, represent them. We don't want to deal with these sort of, um, oh, I don't know, dodgy chiropractors who might not have enough money to pay for a suit anyway. And so Jerry McAndrews eventually said to his brother, George, you know, their dad was a chiropractor. He said, you know, dad is going to kick the lid off of his coffin and haunt you forever if you don't take the case. And so in short, George took the case. And um, in you know, 1980 and that December day, not too much different than today, gray and cold <laughs> in Chicago, he, uh, the lawsuit started. And so, I mean, that kind of is, I, I, I took a number of shortcuts to get us there, but I got us back. So, uh, <laughs> and I, I had never covered an antitrust suit. I really didn't know what, much about chiropractic, although one of my college roommates was the was the son of a chiropractor, and he ended up going to chiropractic school in the Chicago area. That's all I knew. And I went to court, and I started covering the case, and I started uh, writing several stories a week for American Medical News. And one one day, I got called on the carpet by the editor and by the assistant general counsel of the AMA. They said uh, the boys downstairs, in other words, the big bosses, wanna know when you're gonna start telling our side of the story. I mean, I was just covering what happened. I wasn't taking a side. I was just trying to be fair and balanced. And when the AMA finally came up, I wrote about that. But in the end, um, because of an error on the part of the judge's instructions to the jury, um, the uh, the AMA won the case. It, it was appealed. It went to. Uh, it was sent back for another trial. The chiropractors won. It was appealed. It was upheld. It went to the Supreme Court. And in 1990, it was it was upheld that. The AMA had indulged, along with their colleagues, in a conspiracy to try to destroy chiropractic. And the judge in the case, Judge Susan Getzendanner, said that the, that the AMA and these others had done damage that would last for generations. And she forced them to take a number of remedies and uh, at any rate, I'm not letting you get a word in. So go ahead, ask. No, no, no. I, I mean, this is uh, when I started chiropractic school, I heard about Wolk versus AMA. And my understanding was it, it won. Dr. Wolk won in 1987. I didn't realize it continued on. But, you know, that's, that's understandable when uh, 
when there is such a almost a decade of uh, um, you know court and appeals and everything else uh, obviously everything was pretty bad that's why the lawsuit began and that's where the bad mouthing and uh, basically bashing chiropractic started and obviously during the whole lawsuit that escalated so all during this time thousands and thousands of medical doctors were indoctrinated that chiropractors were essentially quacks you know i don't care what people call me as a chiropractor just do know that the message is very clear health is in movement health is in prevention and you are born to be healthy so focus on your health so this is this means no business for pharmaceutical company and the the um, technology dispensers as all doctors are referred to i had no idea that medical i mean chiropractors couldn't even refer for an x-ray that's so ridiculous i'm fuming as i listen to you well, good thing i wasn't working then well you know over the years um well i mean uh, Patrick McAndrews, the chiropractor, George and Jerry's dad, um, he he um, went into practice, I think, in the 1930s in, in a small town in Iowa, the birthplace of chiropractic. And uh, the local medical doctors called him quack. They called him a fraud. And the, the sons actually witnessed this. And so this, this became... Oh, the subject of uh, revenge, ultimately. Uh, but, you know, as, as boys, uh, they, they saw their father humiliated, uh, in, you know, in their, in their community by uh, the medical doctors. And, uh, it, you, know, it, you know, they, they knew the effect it had on their, on their dad. And uh, one of them became a chiropractor and the other one uh, sort of became uh, St. George of for chiropractic you know uh, but it, it in truth it was uh you know it was a david and goliath battle that just went went yes. on and on it, and uh and you know the the chiropractors maybe had four or five attorneys in the courtroom and the ama side they might have had 30 or 40 Every lawyer, uh, well, they all had outside law firms. They all had legal staffs, and they were all represented, you know, in this suit. And uh, you know, George McAndrews, you know, did what he could to keep costs down. He he drove, uh, let's say, up to uh, Michigan to take depositions, where uh, one of the AMA leaders. And this guy was the head of what was called the uh, uh, the Office of on Quackery. And uh, originally it was called the Office on Chiropractic, but they thought that was too friendly. So they, they changed it to the Office on Quackery or Office of Quackery. And uh, that started back in the 60s. The AMA kind of declared victory around 1975 and they disbanded that office. But that was around the time they were going broke. Uh, 
you know, there's so many stories here, doctor. I don't. Um, let me ask you something. I, I have like a bunch of questions written. Um, before I forget, was the identity of Dr. Throat or sore throat ever revealed? Um, yes and no. Um, hmm. <clears throat> as far as my own research, research by others, there really was probably were probably at least two sore throats. One of, one of them led these um, infiltrations of the AMA organization in 1974 and then 1975. They uh, and and all of them were representatives of the Church of Scientology. Uh, see, Scientology was founded by a science fiction writer uh, who back in 1950 wrote a book that I think most of the audience has heard of, which was Dianetics. And right. so <clears throat> L. Ron Hubbard, the author of the book and the founder of the religion around 1950, um, expected the AMA and the American Psychiatric Association to um, hail him as a conquering hero because he had, in his mind, discovered the secret to curing mental illness. Uh, instead, they ran a letter to the editor in the journal of the AMA that ridiculed uh, Scientology. And uh, L. Ron Hubbard's reaction was to put the AMA on an enemies list. This was around 1951. And uh, after that, well, a lot of other organizations joined the enemies list, Internal Revenue Service, CIA, FBI, Justice Department. And so Hubbard's goal ultimately was to find out what these organizations were up to. And there was an early uh, infiltration of the AMA around 1972, where they actually found some, some documents, um, but nothing happened other than, well, they turned it into a book called In the Public Interest. And the book is kind of heavy handed, a lot of homophobic references, a lot of unfortunate stuff because the documents in the book or the real deal, they they revealed this conspiracy against the chiropractors, but the framework that they hung them on was kind of a turnoff. And uh, nobody really knew who had done that book. That came out later. But uh, Jerry McAndrews, as it happened, bought the rights to the book. He said he would buy it, but they needed to publish it, the cover in a different way. The, book was called In the Public Interest. And the cover had the AMA logo, the serpent on the staff, with a swastika, the Nazi logo, if you will, superimposed on it. And uh, so Jerry McAndrews thought, well, that's a bit much. So uh, this group who published the book agreed to take the swastika off. But the book had virtually no impact except for on one person, Chester Wilk. And, and that sort mm -hmm. of that book inspired him, along with his mistreatment at the hands of the medical doctors, 
to, uh, you know, to bring suit. So any rate, but that, that eventually led to the other infiltration. The Scientologists had a huge program to infiltrate, break into, bug, invade a number of organizations. And they did it, including the CIA and the Department of Justice, and they bugged the Internal Revenue Service. So <clears throat> back then, you know, those organizations could have used the services of these Scientologists. They were relentless, and uh, you know they 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 uh, well basically the founder L. Ron Hubbard said uh, anything is fair play when uh, Scientology is under attack, and so they used all means possible, and so the AMA must have been a pushover, but they infiltrated the AMA. And they had staffers in the AMA's uh, executive offices in Chicago, the headquarters, and in Washington, D.C., their lobbying headquarters. And so they, you know, they got more files and they eventually they got caught, but not at the AMA. They got caught at the, at the uh, Department of Justice. And they were, and again, it's like Watergate. In Watergate, it was a rent-a-cop who caught the burglars, uh, the president's burglars, breaking into uh, the Democratic National Committee's headquarters in the Watergate Hotel. In this case, it was a suspicious librarian who noticed these guys acting kind of weird uh, but basically what they were doing was they were running a sting out of the District of Columbia Law Library in a federal building and going out a back door. And they had uh, snuck in during regular hours and, and got a key so they could open and close the back door to the Department of Justice office where they were doing some uh, uh, in you know, litigation research against the uh, Scientologists. So at any rate, they got caught, they got detained briefly, uh, but they were able to talk their way out of it because they had official IRS badges. One of, one of them had infiltrated Internal Revenue Service so they could bug that organization. It's, oh my goodness. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, I'm great. I mean, things happen for a reason. I'm grateful that they did what they did. So the book got in the hands of Dr. Wilk and obviously what you just shared with us. Now, why do you think, I mean, you covered this from the very beginning until, and you know, you have all the information. Why do you think, I mean, you said in 1960s, uh, they started, right. um, obviously recognizing chiropractic as a threat to uh, the medical association. Why do you think they went that far and they did all the things that they did? Was it really that, was chiropractic that powerful that a huge organization like American Medical Association saw the threat and wanted to basically bash it from the get-go with the hopes that there was no 
competition? I, I think it, I think it, I think the motivations are different. And I, you know, and it, it, it was, you know, the chiropractic from the beginning had noticed it was under attack. And uh, actually, uh, a very prominent editor of the Journal of the AMA, Morris Fishbein, wrote, wrote a book uh, back, I think, in the 20s or 30s, where it was about quackery. And there was a chapter dealing with the chiropractors in there. And he, you know, basically he portrayed the medical doctor as being respectable and making the house call through the front door. And then he attacked the osteopathic physicians who, you know, did some of the similar things to both the chiropractors and the medical doctors, also known as allopathic physicians. And so Fishbein said, well, you know, that, that they uh, came to the tradesman entrance at the side door, but the chiropractors were like burglars in the night breaking in through the cellar. So there's been this antagonism forever. But what happened in the 60s was the AMA lost a huge battle. They tried to stop Medicare and they, they pulled out all stops. And Medicare for all or <laughs> Medicare for, for chiropractic? Doctor, for Medicare, to... before any of these ideas came up that you suggested, Medicare for senior citizens. Um, they, they didn't want the doctor to come into the examining room of the doctor and his senior citizen client. So they opposed um, um, Medicare from the beginning and they lost. They, they put, you know, they bet all their marbles on stopping it and they look like fools because they lost. They bet on the wrong horse. Although ironically, uh, Medicare is what made the uh, medical doctors rich. Uh, and and I, I get into that in my old book, uh, which is uh, The Serpent on the Staff. Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the... And, well, the serpent and the staff, uh, the unhealthy politics of the American Medical Association. And, you know, we dealt, I wrote that book with another reporter, Tom Brune, and we, we got into some of that. And we also had a chapter in there on the war on chiropractic. But the idea is really this. Uh, I don't think that the chiropractors were, were that powerful at all. I, I think that they were an easy mark for the AMA, a pushover. I don't know if a chiropractors as an association was, but clearly, despite despite all these attacks, chiropractic has continued to grow. And honestly, I feel that because of the internet more than anything else, a lot of information is circulating. People are becoming more aware that this glorified organization and profession does not necessarily have all wonderful stories behind. And they see that there is, um, you know, side effects of medications and, you know, things have changed drastically even within the last 10 years just from my own perspective as a citizen of this society and not necessarily as a chiropractor. But, 
I mean, I know that people sought chiropractic, people went and paid out of pocket, they that existed. So it was big enough organization or profession, I should say, that they thought, huh, we need to get rid of these guys before they go. Well, <laughs> that's my that thought may on the be. subject. But you're yeah, the one who well, covered I, it. I, I, you're I, I, the one who covered it. This is my quote, suspicion. Uh, George McAndrews, the attorney who represented the chiropractors, he he compared chiropractic to Tibet. And he, and he compared organized <laughs> medicine to China. And he said, you know, when things are going bad in, in uh, the AMA's world, you know, they would go in and mess with Tibet, chiropractic. Chiropractic uh, has made some, some uh, gains, maybe a lot of gains as a result of all, the, all these lawsuits or this major lawsuit, at any rate, uh, there have been others. And, um, but, you know, McAndrews felt that the AMA was just looking for a fall guy to pick on to rally the uh, medical doctors around the flag. And so that was his theory. And they, uh, hmm. it's all in the book and it's contain and eliminate, and there's only one way to get it. So I should give a plug to that. It's uh, from a. And I'm going to I'm going to put uh, the two books um, um, in the show notes so everyone can access it as well. But yes, please let yeah, us the, know about the, the new book. book. Is available from a website. Guess what it's called? Contain and eliminate. dot com. Yeah, Smart. and uh, <laughs> it's uh, distributed by uh, Dynamic Chiropractic, uh, the industry uh, newspaper. And the, the book, uh, well, you know, you asked me why the book was done and uh, I should finish answering that question. It's, it was the big mover behind the book is a chiropractor called uh, Lou Sportelli. I don't, I don't know if you uh -huh. know Lou, but he's, yeah. Yes. Well, I, I know he was a he was a president, so I, I mean I do recognize him. Yeah, I don't he know he was involved in so many ways in chiropractic, um, and he was the president of uh, malpractice company for chiropractic, uh, and he right. uh, he was behind um, uh, organizing research and getting funding for research for chiropractic. And so for 20 years, he's been trying to do a book to memorialize what happened in the Wilk case. And also to uh, tip a hat to the lawyer who did it, uh, George McAndrews. And he, he was aware of, of my other book, which is actually out of print, but I, I saw it listed on Amazon for $1,008. Don't do it. Don't do that. Well, uh, that, <laughs> that's just their algorithm saying crazy stuff. But the other other book is uh, the Serpent on the Staff: The Unhealthy Politics of the AMA. And so Lou was aware of that book, and he had tried twice to get a book done, and he, you know, he had issues. Uh, and so finally, he wanted to 
do a book that would be, you know, read by the general public. You know, he wanted it to be like a Tom Clancy uh, novel is what he said. And so through George McAndrews, who I've stayed with in touch with off and on over the years, he, he reached me and said, you know, I'd like to do this book. Uh, he gave me editorial freedom. He didn't give me an agenda. I, you know, I don't think he was aware, uh, you know, of the involvement of uh, Scientology to the extent that it was, um, you know, sort of behind the scenes. The Scientologists had their own agenda basically to attack the AMA, but they used, uh, they used what they found on uh, chiropractic as a sledgehammer with the hope that it would lead to a suit. And, and it did, but, uh, but they were out of the picture after that because everything they dug up had to be verified. Uh, but at any rate, back to, back to you, doctor. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is this is so fascinating, and um, I'm so excited to just basically get the inside information. There, you, I, just, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. Um, do you have a personal vendetta against American Medical Association after having investigated no, all of this? No, although you know, it's funny. Um, um, I worked there for about a year and it, I worked on the newspaper. I, I learned a lot about American and also Canadian medicine because I covered Canada and I covered hospitals for them. And I, I, I did a lot of things. I learned a lot about chiropractic as a result of them too. I didn't know anything. And um, so I left for a better job across the street at the Chicago Sun-Times, which was, you know, those kind of jobs were hard to get. And I, you know, ended up spending 26 years at that job. And so it's funny, I, I was working on a series of stories with Tom Brune, another Sun-Times reporter. I, I had kind of built up a reputation as someone who would, uh, you know, do a story unflattering to the AMA. But, you know, the AMA thought that I had a vendetta uh, and they would portray me as a disgruntled former employee, which I wasn't. I mean, I, I dare them to, to disclose my employee record because uh, there were, I received no black marks. I just received a better job. And, uh, but they, you know, they, they played dirty. Right. They, they, their job was to defame you. Oh, yeah. So well, well for example, for <laughs> when my first book came out, they leaked an item to our competitor, the Chicago Tribune. And so one of the gossip columnists there did, did a column in which he said, oh, well, there's a big buzz uh, at the AMA meeting. I, we released the book during their annual meeting in Chicago. And so we, and we had a book signing event and, you know, we started getting book reviews then. So the Chicago Tribune hit an item, you know, with the, you know, what the author of this new book that's causing this buzz failed to disclose 
was that, that he had worked for the AMA for 10 years. And it's funny, you know, when we were doing the book, we discussed whether to make a point of med mentioning that because I didn't want to claim that I had any great insider knowledge, uh, you know, because I didn't. But in the next edition of the book, we added the fact that I worked there for a year. And, uh, you know, like it was no big deal, but they were, you know, they were playing kind of dirty. They were trying to uh, uh, defame me, uh, as you said. Uh, but, you know, you got to turn the other cheek and just go go on. And so I ended up doing a lot of stories over the years, like, uh, the, I did one about the AMA ownership in the Physician Retirement Fund of Tobacco Stock. And so I ran that store, uh, story early on, and they defended it and said, well, it was a good investment, and this is a retirement fund. But three months later, I broke the story that they sold the stock. Then I broke the story of the AMA's incoming president and a board member owning a tobacco farm in Georgia. Well, the AMA defended them again and said, well, that's their private business. Uh, the new president sold his interest in the tobacco farm. And the other guy had a bit of an attitude. And he was always angry that he couldn't move up much higher within the AMA. So in a Southern accent, in meetings, he'd say, yeah, well, like they were hearing a resolution on whether to ban all terrain vehicles. And he had one, he says, well, when I, when I ride in my all terrain vehicle on my tobacco farm, you know, so that was his, that was his, uh, well, and pardon my Southern accent, but I, I used to, I used to live in the South, y'all. <laughs> And so I, I, th I think I'm justified. Uh, I, I'm legit. Uh, although I'm a Chicago guy. But uh, at any rate, so, you know, no, it wasn't a vendetta. For me, it was, it was more or less fun. And the thing is, is what the AMA was used to was like a story once a year, let's say in the Washington Post about what the AMA was up to as a lobbying organization. I covered it more like the city hall reporter and city hall was just down the street from me. And, and so I kind of got a reputation of doing articles about the AMA that they might not like. And so people would leak documents and I'll tell you a little inside story that I don't think has ever made its way into print but we, we had an, a generic name for the source. We called him strep throat. And so, so we had deep throat, <laughs> we had uh, sore throat, and then I had strep throat. And so I, you know, I got all sorts of tips. A lot of them were true, but I couldn't prove them. So I didn't run with them. Uh, I ended up getting a lot of tips uh, having to do with some financial shenanigans on the part of the AMA leadership. And, um, you know, I had sh been shown to be a responsible party because they had earlier persuaded me not to do a story, uh, and I didn't. And uh, having to do with some, some really inside IRS stuff. 
and it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't a, it was a story maybe for the tax revenue journal. It wasn't for the Chicago Sun Times. However, I had one more story with them that I had checked out. I had heard, you know, like in 1988, I think it was, there was a, what they called a Black Friday or a Black Monday where the stock market fell apart. And in those days, you could only make changes in your retirement account once a month. Uh, and, you know, now you can do it at will, but back then you, you could do it once a month. And so the president of the AMA's for-profit subsidiary, uh, a guy named uh, Leland Strobar, uh, he saw the stock market plunging. And so he called his secretary and said, okay, we got to make some, some trades. You know, he was trying to protect uh, his, uh, his account. Well, he ended up losing $350,988, which again is real money now. And, uh, and so he went to the CEO known as the executive vice president of the AMA, Dr. Sammons, and he, he blamed his secretary for this. And, and the AMA took $350,000 out of membership money and put it into his account and made him whole. And, and so, oh my is, gosh. so the AMA, you know, I let him go on one thing, but I still had this thing. And so they set up an appointment for me to talk to Waylon Strobar and another guy uh, who was vice president of uh, finances for the AMA. And with my tape recorder running, the two of them were having at each other. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. And so, you know, I... You know, I was asked if I wanted to talk to the CEO, and I said, okay. Well, I ended up having a sore throat of my own, a real one, and I stayed home from work for a day or two. And the AMA called me, PR guy, said, are you going to still want to talk to our CEO? And I said, yeah. And so um, what happened was on a Friday, they called us over to talk to their general counsel. And I predicted to my colleague, Tom Brune, what headline was that basically they were going to cut off the head of Waylon Strobar, you know, the, you know, and he was going to be forced to repay the $350,000. So I, I did it. Well, I predicted it and I called it right. And we, you know, we did a story. I'll tell you something else funny that's not, not in the book. Uh, but one, one of the um, people, one of the Scientologists who infiltrated the AMA in Chicago worked for Strobar. Just pure coincidence, uh, Ten, you know, uh, 15 years earlier. I mean, he didn't hire her because she was a Scientologist. But at any rate, it's just sort of one of the, this thing is full of serendipity and coincidence. And uh, anyway, just so I, you know, I wrote about it and, you know, they, we did a series of stories that en ended up with the CEO of the AMA and seven other 
top executives and ultimately another CEO of the AMA being fired in various um, ethical and uh, financial scandals. And so I, you know, I wrote about all those things and uh, I stirred them up. And uh, so, I mean, that, that's kind of what led to my first book because other media around the country started covering it. Nobody else could get those stories. So basically they were lifting the stories from us. And an agent in New York read the Wall Street Journal version of this. And, uh, and she asked him, would you like to do a book? He said he didn't, but maybe she should contact these guys at the Chicago Sun-Times. So that's how that first book got going. So it's, it's all kind of weird. It all started on December 6th. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm glad that um, the series of events uh, led you to the people that provided the information and all these books. And here we are with, the, with this podcast interview. What is your gut feeling, Howard, about AMA now? Do you think that they're better or are they just getting better at um, it's how funny that they you say business because that's uh, it's kind of what it is, right? Um, back in mm -hmm. 94, 95, when the Clintons were trying to reform healthcare, I realize it's a small community in downtown Chicago of journalists, of, of associations like the AMA. You know, a lot of us know each other. And I was coming out of the gym and another reporter, I was for the, working for the Sun-Times and I was pretty much off of the AMA beat when I came back, did another big expose on the Sunbeam affair. And I don't know that we want to get into all the details with it, but it was another scandal where the AMA uh, endorsed a product when they shouldn't have. And at uh, any rate, but the, these other reporters didn't know that what I was up to. And uh, so I was introduced to my new competition over at the Chicago Tribune, or as we call each other, Brand X. Uh, they call us that and we call them that. And uh, I, you know, and so I was introduced to them and I, I said, well, you know, you better, I, I, I said, oh, the AMA, you better put on your seatbelt. Uh, Cause I knew what was coming. And, you know, another big expose on the Sunbeam Corporation and, and their deal with the AMA. By the way, uh, the Harvard Business School did a case study on that, and uh, and I I went to Harvard uh, mm. virtually or in person uh, five times to talk to business students about the ethics, and it was interesting how ethics changed in that period. And you know, when you brought up the idea of business, uh, you know, so was it ethical for the AMA to want to break the deal? It was it ethical for the AMAF to actually made the deal? And I saw the opinions of business students change in five years. But uh, so at any rate, is the AMA better? Well, 
I haven't really followed them much in recent years. I mean, that scene that I described to you when I met my uh, competitor at Brand X, uh, the, the guy from the AMA who introduced us said that I had destroyed, I personally had destroyed health reform because the AMA was going to do something and then I got them preoccupied with all these other scandals, you know? And so, so I don't know if I want to take, uh, <laughs> take the blame for that, um, or, or, you know, or take the glory for that, or if it's even realistic, but by this point, you know, we're, we're talking about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm forgetting the year, probably late nineties. And, uh, the, I think the AMA had changed. They'd become smarter about marketing themselves. They uh, took some unusual stands. They tried to portray themselves as an organization that stood up on issues of medical ethics. You know, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, so, but. Well, I mean, that's a good, that's a smart, that's a very, very smart thing to do. I mean, if, if, if you're the thief, if you're the criminal, you would be the agent to catch the thief and the criminal because you want to be in the midst of all the investigation and kind of persuade. I mean, that's a smart move. They have the money and they, they use it the smart way. And, you know, that frankly, I think, the cat's out of the bag, so you might as well acknowledge that and I, become I, smarter in the methods of frankly, operation. Frankly, I think they're that makes far less powerful than they were back in the day. They're they're they're. Yes, thanks thanks to the internet, I feel that that our consumers, meaning people, are much smarter because they've become aware. Before that, they had a full control of the media, so the movies and whatever was in the news would show just the glorified parts. And so, you know, it was God, and then it was American Medical Association, and you know, the medicines that they prescribed because they did magical things. Today, right. we are aware of side effects. Today, we 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 talk, people talk. So that's that's. I'm so grateful, Howard, for this opportunity. This was such an exciting, I have to say, I personally uh, was listening to a great family story. Like my mom is sitting there and I'm having a cup of tea and listening to, you know. <laughs> so this, is, this was a sharing the historical event. And I was definitely partial. Well, you, with, you, you, you with got the story, the story behind the story behind uh, I, the story. The story, yeah, yeah. I, I'm grateful. I'm so thankful that you uh, agreed to be interviewed. I honestly, when I approached you, I was not hopeful, and when you said yes, well, I was I'm, I'm, you're and well, and, <laughs> you know, I appreciate so. your offer, and. Uh, you know, I enjoy, you know, talking to, you know, telling the stories that I run into as a journalist. And um, I tell you, you know, I tried to do the book the way Dr. Sportelli had requested. He gave me editorial freedom, but he said, 
you know, make it like, like a Tom Clancy book. And it's definitely a story about conspiracies within conspiracies, Scientologists versus the AMA, uh, the AMA against the chiropractors. The chiropractors were kind of the innocent guy, innocent bystanders. Uh, in the end, uh, I, you know, I think they not only did they win in court, but there's a big part of the book where we talk about some of the things that have changed. And, you know, if you want, want I'd be happy to come back on and we can continue. I would love to. I would definitely love to. So uh, we'll we'll connect and uh, come up with a with the next subject. But uh, we have reached the end of the hour. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I appreciate uh, the time you gave us. And for the listeners, I will make sure that I have Howard Walensky's information and the name of the books and. Uh, um, hope that you will purchase them. I, um, knowledge is power and certain pieces of information, certain subjects of information are not necessarily advertised as something that uh, you find out on Facebook and Instagram like most people do their purchases these days. Thank you, Howard, once again for your time. Thank and you. until next time. 